In the last episode, we promised you some very exciting news about season two of the Townies podcast. That's right, we have decided to transition to a seasonal format. And what does that mean for you as a listener? It means that in addition to the scintillating stories of your talented friends and neighbors, we will be adding more interviews, behind-the-scenes looks into the writing and performance process, glimpses into the diverse, complex, and wondrous community that is the 805, and more surprises than you can shake a stick at. In short, an even better podcast. It also means that our next episode, episode 33, airing on July 24th, will be a very special season finale, closing out the longest and most fabulous season one ever. Season two will launch at the top of 2019 with one of our infamous townies block parties to which you are all invited. Until then, maybe you would like to use these next few months to catch up on any episodes you missed, or to listen to some of your favorites again. More about that in episode 33. Thank you so, so much for listening and for making all of this possible. We are endlessly grateful for you, our listeners, and your support, without which the Townies podcast would not exist. And now, without further ado... Episode 32, Decisions, Decisions. I'm from here. Here's the story. The Vessel, written and performed by Judy Fisk Lucas. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone more positive than Miss Judy. Her warmth and compassion are contagious, and she takes them everywhere she goes, just in case somebody needs them. My father, my grandfather, and my grandmother were all ministers. I learned very early that I was supposed to be a vessel of God's compassion and forgiveness. There's actually a hymn, I am a vessel. (laughs) I got it. I'm supposed to be a placeholder, a conduit, an irrigation ditch. (laughs) (laughs) Carrying, Carrying God's love and other attributes to everyone I meet. I do my best. (laughs) Well, I see it. On my neighbor's curb, between the trash can and the recycle bin. A vase, or more accurately, a vessel. (laughs) A big, ugly, six-foot, baby poop brown vessel. (laughs) Inside is metal. Outside is some lightweight porcelain with a subtle swirly design on it, slightly darker than the poop brown, maybe black. And it's just trying, it seems to be trying, you know, well, really trying hard to be festive and to have a purpose in the world. So... I rescue the large, ugly, six-foot vessel from my neighbor's curb, 
and I asked their permission to sell it in my yard sale. I have these sales regularly to raise money for field workers, the people who put food on our tables. We started Friends of Field Workers, a nonprofit, so we could befriend and support field workers in meaningful ways. Maybe this ugly but endearing vessel will find some <laughs> new purpose in someone's home and also bring in money for pampers, a laundromat dryer full of clothes, a prescription, or even toward rent. It doesn't sell. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do. So I decide to make a peace poll out of it. <laughs> but it's too ugly for even that. <laughs> what to do? So I hide it in my backyard. I don't want my neighbors to know that I couldn't sell it. <laughs> I stare at it for two or three weeks. It keeps blowing over in the wind in my backyard, but it won't break, damn it. <clears throat> I'm trying, it's trying. <laughs> Out of sheer desperation, I load the poop-colored vessel into my friends of field workers' van, and I look for a final resting place. I feel bad, but what else am I going to do? I find it in front of Frontier Paint Store on Baldwin Road. I need some paint anyways. Unfortunately, the place is closed, so buying paint is out. But there's the dumpster I'd been hoping for. <laughs> Big, low to the ground. There's a warning sign not to dump anything illegally. Oh, golly. $25,000, no, $2,500 fine. Maybe it was $25,000. It could have been, shoot. <laughs> A video camera. Oh, I'm sunk. I look in all directions without moving my head. <laughs> and nonchalantly hoist that puppy in. Doesn't fit, damn it. So I have to push it around several times. Each time there's a loud, hollow banging to raise the dead. Oh no, oh no. Mr. Frontier. <laughs> He's still inside doing his bookkeeping, but now he's outside. <laughs> People say that I am the picture of calm. <laughs> Right now, I'm a swirling mass of uncalmness. <laughs> Ideas of what to say swarm around my head like a hornet's nest. 
and pop out like baseballs out of a pitching machine. I need some paint, masking tape. I love that red paint you sold me last year. Do you have any new summer colors? Never mind, I'll come back tomorrow. I walk back to my van as quickly as I can with my legs squeezed together tight like I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, please, God. Please, God, don't let him notice my magnetic signs on the car, friends of field workers. He goes back in, moving his eyes with a serious expression, but not saying anything. Sergio and Eusebia flash be in front of my eyes. The immigrants from Oaxaca that live in one bedroom of a small apartment with their three children. It's their dream to be in America and to create a better life for themselves. It's a very, very long and difficult story. I love them so much and they work so hard and they barely make ends meet. And now my reckless vessel dumping has jeopardized everything. <laughs> what if he recognized me? What if he calls the police? Where will I buy my paint now? <laughs> Once I'm home, I can't eat, I can't sleep. All night long, I toss and I turn as the regrets of my life play in an endless... <laughs> Judy is an opportunist. Judy is a rule breaker. Judy does not practice what she preaches. Judy is not a vessel of God's love. Oh, shit! <laughs> what will the neighbors think now? What will Mayor Johnny Johnston say? Why is his first name also his last? <laughs> Visions of intolerant homeland security dance in my head. I get up in the morning feeling terrible about my transgression. I need to take responsibility for this gross negligence. I'm too nervous to eat my morning oatmeal and raisins. <laughs> I drive to the Frontier Paint Store at 6 o'clock. I want to be the first customer in the store at 6.30 when it opens. I have a full half hour to practice my penance. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, I really, um, just really want to apologize. A staff member turns over the sign and I head for the door. I grab a random can of paint and some blue masking tape. I put them on the counter and I open my mouth to speak. <laughs> Mr. Frontier asked me three times if he can help me. I said, I uh, came to uh, 
apologize. <laughs> oh, for dumping that big ugly face in the dumpster? <laughs> for sure I'm going to be in the thumbs down section of the Ojai Valley News. <laughs> and I start to cry. I'm so sorry what got into me. Your property, not even mine. Big face, so ugly. Jail, neighbors, diapers, Sergio and Eusebia. It wouldn't even break and I tried. <sighs> Please forgive me. I won't ever do it again. In your dumpster, I'll never put anything in there again. I mean it. <laughs> No problem, I heard him say. Please just ask me the next time. It's rarely ever full anyway. He rang me up for $12.54 and I paid the cash. He was so sweet, I could have kissed him. You have a nice day now and come see us again soon. I clutch my can of paint and my blue masking tape. I go back to the car and I sit for a while. Then I remember what my great-grandma Ida used to say. There's a little bit of good in the worst of us and a little bit of bad in the best of us. Maybe I'm just somewhere there in the mix. Yeah, I can live with that. <laughs> I start the van up and as I drive down La Luna Avenue, I see something with a free sign on it. <laughs> ah, and I pull the van over to the side of the road. And that was Judy Fisk Lucas. Next up, Kien Soy, written and performed by Arturo. I had the great fortune of meeting Arturo when I did a workshop with the incomparable Mixteco Indigenous Community Organizing Project in Oxnard. Arturo is a Ventura College student and activist with a huge heart and an excellent wardrobe. You can find the English translation and the Spanish transcript of Arturo's piece at thetowniespodcast.org slash translate. San Vicente Coatlán es el lugar donde yo nací, un pueblito en el estado de Oaxaca. Tenía recuerdo que iba al campo los fines de semana con mi abuelito, quien en el camino me contaba historias y leyendas de mis antepasados. A la edad de los 14 años, mis padres decidieron traerme con ellos aquí en los Estados Unidos, en busca del sueño americano. Sabía que mi vida cambiaría, pero no sabía cómo o en qué forma. Al llegar aquí en los Estados Unidos, mi vida dio un giro de 360 grados. Cambió radicalmente en todos los sentidos. Llegué con la idea de trabajar en los campos agrícolas de California. Y así fue. Trabajé piscando mora, fresa, blueberry, uvas. También corté ojotes. A la edad de 14 años, 16 años, yo ya, ya había experimentado lo que es ganarse la vida. Por un tiempo fue así, pero después mi vida tomó otro rumbo. Por primera vez entro en a la escuela en los Estados Unidos. No fue fácil, hubo retos, obstáculos que enfrentar, 
Fue muy difícil para mí, porque solo hablaba mi lengua materna, que es el zapoteco. Estaba muy limitado el español y no hablaba el inglés. De ahí también supe lo que es la discriminación. Cuando tus propios compañeros te señalan como el raro o se burlan de ti por tu color de piel o por la manera en que te vistes o por tu estatura. O cuando te dicen analfabeto por no saber pronunciar bien una palabra en español. Me da tanta tristeza ver a mi propia gente mexicana discriminando a nosotros, sus hermanos indígenas, aunque yo sé que no debería de ser así. Hoy puedo decir que me siento muy afortunado de tener una lengua propia, una lengua que me ha heredado mis abuelos, mis antepasados, una lengua que ha sobrevivido por más de 500 años de conquista y que hoy en día yo aún lo conservo y lo hablo con mucho orgullo. No solo es una lengua, también nosotros los indígenas somos muy diversos en cultura, gastronomías únicas y vestimentas que nos representan. En la profundidad de mi corazón estoy obsesionado con saber realmente quién soy, porque muchas veces me miro al espejo y reconozco a la persona que veo. Parece que solo fue un sueño al que yo espero con ansiedad de despertarme pronto. Parece que solo fue ayer que yo era un chavo tan distinto al que soy ahora. No sé cómo pasó ni cuándo fue. Lo cierto es que ya no soy el mismo. Me pregunto si ha cambiado para bien o para mal, pero yo digo que de las dos cosas. Lo único que sé es que ya no soy aquel muchachito que era el orgullo de la familia. En las noches lo que me mantiene despierto es preguntarme a mí mismo quién soy, cuál es mi, cuál es mi propósito en este mundo, porque estoy como un bote en el medio del mar, sin rumbo, pero el tiempo pasa y corre y yo sigo atascado en el mismo lugar. Una de las preguntas a la cual que hasta ahora aún no he dado una respuesta. Es sobre mis sentimientos y es lo que me falta decir. Hay veces que lo único que quiero es sentir y no pensar, porque es algo muy intenso al no saber quién soy, que la, que la sociedad me dice que debo ser algo que no es compatible a lo que yo estoy sintiendo. Es muy confuso, bueno, al menos para mí lo es, cuando lo que yo estoy sintiendo no es lo que se supone que yo sienta o que debo de sentir, según mi religión, la sociedad o según lo que mi familia espera de mí. Pero yo siempre digo que todo a su momento, uno decide hablar sobre nuestra natu naturaleza y de lo que uno está hecho cuando estamos seguros de quiénes somos. You just heard from Arturo. was told by a man so bold to never settle for less than gold oh but he's crazy now got out of his mind I'm crazy now gone out of my mind Empty field will be my shield with lonely eyes. 
was Felix Penny with Heavy Load from the album Twin Trip. To learn more about the music and performers featured on the Townies Podcast, please visit thetowniespodcast.org. A Moment of Choice, written and performed by Theodora Holt. This fierce mom of one can bring a smile to your face on even the worst of days. Theo's humor and grace are seemingly effortless, leading one to wonder, how does she do it? I'm 13 years old, and my family and I have emigrated to New Jersey. In the rental we're staying in, I found a women's magazine that details how I can get a trim fanny in six weeks. (laughs) I run to my mum, horrified that she's brought me to a place that cares if my vagina is skinny or not. (laughs) She explains to me that in America, fanny means bum, not your lady parts. (laughs) She tells me not to worry and buys me a Cinnabon at the mall, which momentarily quells my confusion and teen angst. My sarcasm, which used to win me laughs, is now considered mean, and my teeth, well... They're very British. (laughs) And they just won't do. I'm shunted immediately to the dentist where I spend many an unhappy hour of my embarrassing teen years. Most kids get braces in middle school. 
I get mine in high school. Just when my interest in boys is peaking and my desire to be desired is at its zenith, I have the appeal of Jaws. (laughs) The professional assassin and James Bond villain. (laughs) Big chunks of stainless steel scratching my lips and gums for three years. I'm a late bloomer and one of my teeth needs a little help coming in straight. There's a space for it, but it's taking its sweet time and coming in crooked. My orthodontist decides to innovate, (laughs) something of which he's very proud, and attach what becomes to be known in my family as Theo's toilet chain. (laughs) The chain is attached to the tooth coming in and to the tooth next to it, and every so often I go back to the dentist and the chain is adjusted. Each time it's adjusted... It dangles a little longer, so that sometimes when I speak, it swings out of my mouth. Visible to my conversationist and any onlookers, it happens in slow motion, as I see it. Little bits of spittle can be seen sprinkling the air between us. Owen Chen has braces, too. I think I love him. (laughs) We're in his cousin's basement. A lot of my time in New Jersey seems to be spent in the basement. Our friends have left us alone because they know we're shy. The pressure is on. What if the parents walk in? His mum already dislikes me because I'm white. If we get stuck together... (laughs) Who's going to pull us apart? (laughs) I really want to kiss him, but I'm so scared. Is the impending chance of humiliation worth it? If this is my big chance for a first kiss, I really should try to enjoy it. I didn't choose to move to America. I didn't even choose to get braces, but I choose fearfully, self-consciously, and with a soupçon of Catholic guilt to kiss him, despite the stainless steel rubber-banded obstacles. Our first highly anticipated kiss is a clanking, brain-rattling cacophony, (laughs) which leaves us both dazed and confused, yet strangely wanting more. (laughs) It's 2001, and my braces are finally off. I'm heading to New York City to begin my college career. Despite the hefty loans that will haunt my family and I for decades, (laughs) I've chosen to go to Columbia University. My lack of experience, a shortage of student housing and the high cost of rent forced me into an apartment on the Upper East Side with a roommate 15 years my elder. She wears short skirts and heels, applies fake tan every night, has large breast implants, long peroxide blonde hair, and lives off a steady diet of red wine and diet pills. Some nights I come home and she's naked on the couch. (laughs) A blanket, purposely draped, hiding certain parts, calculatedly exposing others, and she's half a bottle of wine in. One morning, she squawks through the wall at me to come and look at the TV. I begrudgingly stop my morning preparations and oblige. 
We watch, jolted out of our habitual reality, as a plane flies into the second tower. My roommate is orating a blow-by-blow of the unfolding scene, her incessant mindless chatter compounding my confusion and heartache. I'd rather be anywhere but with her. I know that I don't want to be alone, but I don't know what to do or what it all means. So I decide to leave and head to school. I stand at the bus stop on the corner of 98th and Lexington, waiting to catch the crosstown to campus on what is my second week of classes as a freshman. I relive the horrifying scenes I've just witnessed on the TV. The bus towering over me creaks to a halt. The big, wide and blue doors hiss open and I move forward to step on, but I stop. I can't see the driver because people are crammed from the top step all the way to the back of the bus. They're staring down at me, wide-eyed. For a moment, everything seems to stop around me. The bus is silent. No one speaks or even moves. Each person on the bus gripping tightly to something or other, rigid in their body and gaze. Their hair is grey. Their suits and skirts that may have once been blue or black are grey. Their faces, grey. They're covered in what looks like ash. I stare back, mouth agape, caught in a moment of indecision, when the doors close and the bus drives off. I decide to walk to school. There's a swirl of questions in my head. I've just witnessed people fleeing the devastation of the Twin Towers collapsing. What am I supposed to do right now? Where do I go? Being in nature seems like a good idea. A walk through Central Park, perhaps? I'm alone, and the people I love the most, my family, are thousands of miles away in California. I can't even call them because the cell towers are out. I think, if these are my last moments on Earth, I really should try to enjoy them. I'm still alive. It's a beautiful fall morning. It's sunny, the air is crisp. I feel the breeze on my skin. Inhale a big gulp of air and notice the sounds of the city around me. A fountain of sadness begins to well up inside, but I keep moving, telling myself to enjoy and appreciate this time. It's 2005 and I'm learning to kite surf in Malibu. I'm still a beginner and the whole thing scares the bollocks out of me, which is one of the reasons I've decided to do it. More specifically, I'm scared of being eaten in the ocean and I don't want to be scared or eaten. (laughs) I want to overcome the fear. The wind is a little too light, but I'm determined to go out anyway. I come around the point to where I can see my destination when, due to lack of wind, the kite falls out of the sky. It hits the water and I can't get it back up in the air again. The kite, which has an inflated bladder, is floating on the surface of the water. It's sitting in a pocket of offshore wind, acting as a sail that's dragging me through the water and out to the open sea. I decide to unhook the kite from my harness and swim to shore. The fear that I'm so desperate to overcome, the scenario I'm most afraid of, is happening right now. I'm all alone, convinced that I'm done for, when something touches my foot. What is that? 
Oh, it's just kelp. <laughs> kelp! Such an amazing plant. So beautiful. Gosh, doesn't it feel good against my skin? If these are my last moments on Earth, I really should try to enjoy the kelp. <laughs> wow, the sky is so blue. Not a cloud in sight. The ocean undulating rhythmically around me. Such a deep emerald green today. I keep moving, senses hyper-attuned, soaking in the last of the day's rays and the beauty of the coastline ahead of me. December 5th, 2017. I don't know what lies ahead of me. We are evacuees, driving through the ash-filled air as it rains down on us, driving away from our home and Ojai. We're surrounded by a thick, glowing orange fog. I can't see very far in front of the car. I don't know if I'm making the right choice by leaving. Breathing is hard and my eyes sting. I want to call my family and tell them that I'll meet them in Ventura at a gas station, but my phone doesn't have service. I had said I'd wait for them in Oak View at the gas station. I know I should wait for them, but I panic, feeling only urgency and the need to flee. I'd seen the fire coming up the valley behind our house. It was moving fast. I keep driving into the scarlet smolder. I feel like I'm on the verge of a full-blown panic attack. It's not like me at all. I'm annoyed that I'm not better prepared, that my trunk is a mishmash of our belongings, and that I've forgotten to pack my hard drives with all my photos on. My daughter, slightly delirious after having been woken up at 5am and told to pack to evacuate, is singing as we drive. Her lyrics of, I will survive. <laughs> Peppering my dark and doubtful thoughts. Her singing gets louder. I snap. Will you be quiet for a moment? I yell, gripping the steering wheel, hating myself for yelling at her. She's quiet for a moment. Then all chipper, she calls to me from the back seat. Mum, I feel good because I've got options. <laughs> Get burned down in the house or life. <laughs> I relax my grip on the wheel and laugh. In this moment, she's made a choice, just as I had done those times before. It's not the best situation, but we've got each other, and we've got our family. We're not alone. If these are the last moments together on Earth, then we'd sure better enjoy them. You were listening to Theodora Holt. We're Men, Remember? Written and performed by Jem Ruff and Luke Hammond. Jem and Luke are Nordoff High School boys with big ambitions that include college, Hollywood, some good jazz, and lots of swimming. And these two will be cracking each other up all along the way. Enter Luke. Handsome. Confident. Great chin. He likes his body more than girls. 
<laughs> Enter Jim. Meek, soft-featured, romantically challenged. The two are sitting in a small sauna. Damn, bro, I got a crazy pump up there. You saw me put up 300? <laughs> I was, uh, I was busy with my bodyweight balance squats. I, I found that my strength is better manifested without resistance. Sometimes my strength isn't physical at all. For example, resisting grandma's delicious lemon cookies. <laughs> I mean, these are really delicious cookies. You can, you can easily overdo it. Mm. She sprinkles them with sugar. <laughs> Your reaction tells me you've never had lemon cookies. I guess not. Well, well actually, the reason I'm here is to refine my physique for a, uh, a, a woman. Oh. Are you dating her? No, but I've scheduled a date for tomorrow evening. Oh, I haven't heard anything about this. Well, you see, she's a sensitive creature without malice, and frankly, you don't have much experience in this department, old boy. What are you talking about? Uh, I get girls all the time. And don't call me old boy. God, you're so pretentious. What was that? Nothing. Yeah, but not this kind of woman. Okay, whatever. Where are you taking her? I don't know yet. Someplace romantic where we can enjoy a bottle of wine and restrain political discourse. Dude. You're 16. <laughs> Never too young, my friend. Never too young for politics. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Where are you taking her? Suckle. <laughs> suckle? Yes, suckle. They serve dairy products that, are, that source milk, which is gently whispered from the udders of... Whispered? <laughs> yes, um... Oh, okay. Anyway, from the udders of, of pet cows an organically sourced live lamb, which arrives with a collar and a brief biography on parchment. They, they are very clean, and you pet them while you eat. You see, my woman doesn't take kindly to harsh treatment of animals. Dude. That's trying way too hard. You gotta make it seem like you don't care about her that much, so she thinks you're interesting. Well, at least I'm not some crass rapscallion pursuing carnal urges. We're men. Here's what you do. You get a DiGiorno with the type of topping that she's into. For her, it would be Gouda cheese and Asian beets. Does DiGiorno have that one? No, they don't. <laughs> but here's what you do. You drive her down to the Arby's on the other side of town. But don't go inside. And just go park under the fluorescent lights. Because when you eventually take your shirt off, and trust me, you will take your shirt off, the lights will accentuate your, your love landscape. Your love landscape? You know, the abs. Huh. Well, here's my take. After I show her my love landscape, I get venereal disease, and six months later, I die in my bed. Jeez, dude, what's your problem? Dating isn't life and death. Well, it is if it's your first date. 
So you've never been on a date? Ever? The only time I tried to ask a girl out, she kept me on a leash, and two weeks later she goes for an 18-year-old goat man. What's a goat man? Oh, you want to hear about the goat man? All right. Bearded face. I wrote a hate poem about it. Little goat man, sagging nipples. Why? Why does she like you, goat man? When we're all waiting in line for the donuts in the morning. Dude. The key is that if you try too hard, girls get freaked out. Because it means that you might be too nice and the relationship will be too easy. If you talk about your sports and don't show her that good of a time, she'll be intrigued. You go into the lights, you take off your shirt, you give her the DiGiorno pizza, and you take her home. I've just never been very enthused to date. I don't find it very enjoyable. All I wanted was a simple formula. One second. She canceled. I'm sorry, man. I mean, I don't really get all the girls I go for. You know, usually I just go home from the gym and uh, I watch The Bachelorette. Oh. <laughs> We're men, remember? Luke, I still have a reservation if you want to... Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, sure, Jim. I'll go to suckle with you. And that was Jim Ruff and Luke Hammond wrapping things up. I'm from here. Here's the story. Please join us every other Tuesday for a new round of Freshly Minted Stories. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio, and we teach people to launch their stories loudly and unapologetically into the world. To laugh more, risk more, and have bigger lives. The Townies Podcast is co-produced by Lily Brown, Asa Larmonth, and Ken Eros. Studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Hallman at the Congress House. The Townies podcast is in part made possible by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai, a small town with big stories. You can find out more about us at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. Don't scare Cleo. I know, I'm sorry. I felt, I felt all bad afterwards. She's going to run you over with her bike with a bell. Yeah. All right. She's going to run you over and be like, wing, wing. <laughs> <laughs> How's that, Ken Eros? Yeah, you do the bell after you run him over. Thump, <laughs> <laughs> thump. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. <laughs> right here. <laughs>